Welcome to Nathan's School of Thought. I'm Nathan Walker, Global Performance Coach, here to share principles gleaned from decades of teaching, training, and coaching on four continents. Whether you're a senior executive, salesperson, new parent, military leader, artist, musician, head of a nonprofit, or a student, it doesn't matter who you are, only who you can become. Join me each week to have your brain flipped upside down as we move together toward a happier, healthier, and much more productive life. Hello, my friends. Several years ago, I had what somebody must have thought were a few good ideas. And the thing that I created was required in several cities around the world. Now, I was accustomed to traveling quite a lot, and most of that travel was international which for a kid from a farm was kind of a big deal. I never expected that to happen. But I wasn't really in control of my travel schedule. Somebody else was. And at one point, I began to become completely exhausted. My boss even called me in one day and said, This can't be right. Your timesheet shows that you worked well over 300 hours this month. That can't be right. I said, Well, it's right, and I can prove it. And when I showed him, he said, well, we can't do that. Of course, it continued anyway. Nobody stopped it. It got so heavy that at one point I flew 110,000 miles in 100 days. It's kind of a big deal to go platinum on Delta in less than three months, but I did it. I had a lot of perks from that. And I worked really, really hard. Because I flew so much, I got upgraded quite a lot, and I was standing in line one time ready to board first class when a lady behind me said a little bit too loudly, those jerks, thinking they're better than us, they can just get on before everybody else. I don't know who they think they are or why they think they're better. I almost said, lady, you have no idea the price that I paid to have enough miles to be upgraded like this. I began to identify myself as the guy who does this thing, or the guy who gets more miles than anybody I know, or the guy who's kind of a big deal because. But that nearly killed me. After that stint, where I flew so many miles in such a short time, I began to have physical symptoms that were really, really worrisome. And finally told my wife she'd better take me to the hospital. The doctors were visibly alarmed at what was going on and started running cameras all over everything and in everything and through everything and doing imaging and x-rays and all kinds of stuff. I know, those were just the same thing, weren't they? Imaging, x-rays are a form of imaging, but you know what I'm talking about. Hoses and cameras and needles and stuff to see if they could figure out what was going on. And one of, the, one of the doctors said, you know, my best guess is either liver problems, possible liver failure, kidney failure, or stomach cancer. Those are the things that we're looking for right now. Well, that was terrifying. I really was. I was scared out of my mind. I didn't know what to do. We went home at the end of the day and talked and cried and prayed and did what you do, waiting to hear from the doctor the next morning. About mid-morning, the phone rang, and it was the doctor on the other end. 
He said, well, I can tell you what's going on. And with much trepidation, I said, okay, so what's the deal? He said, it's possible to work so hard and become so tired that your body will just start trying to shut organs off. And that's what's happening to you. You're dying from exhaustion. I had heard of that happening to a couple of celebrities, but that always sounded kind of made up. I thought exhaustion was code for, I did a lot of drugs. But I hadn't done a lot of drugs. I really was tired. The doctor said, so what do you do for recreation? And I laughed and said, I watch movies on a plane. He was really quiet. Finally said, I wasn't joking. All right. I'm sorry. Uh, Not much. He said, what about exercise? Do you get any exercise? I said, well, when I'm in foreign cities, I try and walk everywhere. If the venue is close enough, I walk to it. So there's that. And he conceded that that might be saving my life. Then he said, if you don't change your job and change your schedule and tone this down a little bit, you're not going to live to see your next birthday. So you better get started. That began a series of events that were planned on my end that sent me in a new direction as far as career. It's astonishing to me that I began to associate my value as a person with the number of hours that I worked, the lack of sleep, the changes of time zones, or the number of places I visited in a short time. That's not who I really was. That's not what made me valuable as a person. But I began to associate myself so much with what I did for a living that it became my identity, to the point that it almost ended my life. A friend of mine has an autoimmune disease. When the symptoms became really, really severe, this friend sought help from a friend of ours who practices some pretty non-traditional types of medicine, though he is, in fact, a doctor. What he was doing began to help our friend to the point that some of the symptoms were reduced significantly, and it looked as though this incurable autoimmune disease might actually go away. Partway through the treatment, our friend canceled the rest of the appointments. We were very confused and said to our doctor friend, What's going on? Why did this person cancel? And he said, Sadly, some people identify themselves by sicknesses that they have. And if they begin to get well, they can't be well. I'm not that person. I'm this person who has this condition. People often identify themselves by a mental illness. I am a such and such. Or by struggles that they have. I'm dyslexic. I'm ADD. I am such and such. It's very common when we introduce ourselves to say, so what do you do for a living? And the person's response gives us some idea of who they are. Well, that's not who they are. What a person does for a living is not what gives them value. It might have something to do with our judgment of their value, but that's another issue. Well, I'm a lumberjack. I'm I'm just a farmer. I'm a doctor. 
I own several companies, and I own a slaughterhouse. I'm a dancer. With each one of these responses, we make some judgments about who the person really is and how valuable they are to society. Of all the people that I've admired most in this world, few stand higher than my two grandfathers, my mother's dad and my dad's dad. Neither of them were famous. Both of them were farmers most of their lives. Neither of them did anything spectacular that I can remember. Neither of them made any money. They weren't real estate moguls. They didn't own their own thriving businesses and employ thousands of people. Neither of them thought they were perfect parents. Neither of them went down in the annals of history as great discoverers. My mom's dad raised horses and trained a lot of horses. Much of his life was spent training cutting horses. He had some race horses that actually set world records, but only after he sold them to somebody else. My dad's dad farmed for most of his life and died at a ripe old age. He and my grandmother had 12 children, 11 of whom lived to adulthood. But here's the thing that makes them so spectacularly important and puts them on the top of my admiration list. They were wonderful fathers. Their children, my parents and their siblings, revere their dads. They know that they were loved. They were nurtured by men who really cared about them. Their heroism was in what they were and what they became, not what they did for a living or what they accomplished. They really were, to me, heroes. Most of us have our identity sort of couched somewhere in the wrong place. We look at our own faults and we identify ourselves by what we are not. It's interesting to contemplate what the conversation might be at the Day of Judgment, assuming you believe in such a thing. I think when we stand before God, the questions might be a lot different than those we expect. I don't think the questions will be, so what'd you do for a living? Or, how much money did you make? I'm not even sure the questions will be, how many sins did you commit? Were you a naughty boy? Were you a good girl? I'm not sure that's what it will be. I think it might be something like this. Did you love my other children? Tell me about experiences that you had when you served someone else. What did you learn? What did you become? I don't think the conversation will be about careers, but about compassion. I don't think they'll be about livelihoods, but about love. I don't think those conversations will be about what we avoided or what we accomplished, but about what we learned and ultimately what we became. I think the question might be, did you become a little more like me? Hopefully the answer will be yes. When you are tempted to attach your identity to what you do, or the motorcycle you ride, or the car you drive, or the people you know, or the circles in which you run, 
When you're tempted to attach your identity to how little sleep you've gotten, how badly you've abused your body, or any other negative thing like that, when you are tempted to attach your identity to the mistakes you've made, how far you have fallen short, or to the disappointment you think you might be to your parents, your employer, your friends, or your God, knock it off. Here's how valuable you are. After a life of trying to do something that matters, after a life of loving and serving other people, after a life of trying to learn and become, exhausting all of your energy and giving up everything that you are, all you are promised is all that God has. His design for you is to become more than you can possibly imagine to have blessings you can't possibly comprehend, to be what you didn't possibly think you could be. That's his design for you. Becoming is what matters. It doesn't matter how far you got down that path. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you made along the way. That's all taken care of. The point is that you matter because you exist. Your identity should be tied up in your eternity. You matter because you are completely unique. There's nobody like you on this earth. There never has been, and there never will. You were important enough to be fashioned in your uniqueness by a God who cares about the diversity of his creations. No one will ever learn what you learned, become what you become, or do it in the way that you have done it. You are spectacular. That's what makes you valuable. It's not what you do. It's not what you failed to do. It's not what you will do. It's who you are. You matter to God. You matter to me. And you matter more than you can imagine to those who will come after you, those who surround you, and those who know you now. You are beautiful. No matter what you do, please remember that. We'll talk again soon.